Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's sing it. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. says, I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among your fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them whatever I command. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to come together this morning to hear your word. The opportunity to worship you. The opportunity to sing songs of praise to you. Lord, I pray this morning that everything that we do is about you as it should be each day of our lives. Lord, we're thankful for the things that you've done for us. And Father, I just pray that our time together is motivating, inspiring, and that it helps us to grow closer to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. A frog decided to visit me this morning, I guess. But anyway, we're glad to have you here this morning. We're here to worship the Lord together, and we're glad that you've chosen to do that with us. Please make sure you fill out your connection card, and if you're watching us online, we encourage you to do the same thing so we can keep connected with you. And before we continue our song service this morning, you get, as soon as I hit this, you get three minutes. So go around and say hello to somebody, and please say something to someone you haven't spoken to. Or if you see somebody you don't know, don't be embarrassed, because you don't, you're not going to know everybody. So here you go. You got three minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. Got to hurry. Yes. 
I would, but <laughs> I'm sorry, excuse me. Today. 
Oh, 
My mic, my mic come unplugged. There, try that. Now, now can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I hate being technical. Oh, because that's not up. There we go. Now turn me way down. I'm too loud, way too loud. There's Jeff, there we go. Kick, crank the gain down about three notches and then play with the slider.
there we go. That's what was that pop in my mic came unplugged. That's never happened. All right, let's try that again. Throughout my ministry, I've received a lot of questions from people throughout my time about the Old Testament. As you read the Old Testament, man, there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of death. God's basically saying, hey, when, he, when they go in the promised land, he says, kill them all and I'll sort them out. And of course, they didn't do that, and we're still paying the price for that today. Some people say, well, why didn't God just send Jesus? Why do we need all this Old Testament stuff? Once the Israelites got out of Egypt, why didn't he just send Jesus at that point? Some people say, well, why do, the, why do Christians even need the Old Testament? We got the new. Well, today, we're going to, going to get to the, some of the core of that by looking at the, uh, the comparison of Jesus and Moses. For the nation of Israel, Abraham was the father of the nation. <clears throat> Moses was the deliverer of the nation. And David was the ruler of the nation. That's kind of how they saw things. But of all people of the Old Testament, Moses was considered the greatest of them all. He was their deliverer. Now, if you read the Mishnah, which was published in, in about the second century AD, you can see how religious leaders viewed Moses. The Mishnah was an edited record of uh, complex body material known as the Oral Torah. After the destruction of Jerusalem, when the temple was finally destroyed, they decided to put all this down. In the Mishnah, one thing that's interesting about it, it's not a bunch of uniform teaching. It's about all kinds of subjects. And what would happen is all the, rab the rabbis would have various views, and they would almost fight over it, almost like we do with politics today. And that's what they did with religion. But when it, so in other words, Rabbi Joe would say this, and Rabbi Kevin would say this, and Rabbi Joe, Kevin, or Gene would say this about the same subject. Uh, Mark Moore, in his, in his uh, teaching on this subject, said that uh, a rabbi once told him that if you had three rabbis in a room, you'd have five opinions. <clears throat> well, this was true except for Moses. No one challenged Moses. No one did. The, the teachings of Moses were sacred. And this is important to understand because during the ministry of Jesus, <clears throat> he dealt with Moses quite often. He, matter of fact, the core of many of his messages were things that Moses taught. And so the religious leaders, because of their high regard for Moses, a lot of times they were already on the offensive. As soon as Jesus got onto those subjects, they were already mad because it's like, who are you, a carpenter's son, who didn't even go to one of our little Bible colleges, if you will, who are you to challenge Moses? And they saw Jesus as disrespecting Moses. And so when you understand that, that kind of helps look, as you look in the New Testament, you can kind of see some of the angst that the religious leaders had with Jesus because they didn't see what he was doing, because they didn't understand the role of the Old Testament. So understanding that can help you appreciate the teachings of Jesus on an even deeper level when you understand how highly regarded Moses was. All Jewish life was built on the teachings of Moses. Then here comes Jesus, some carpenter's kid, seemingly challenging that. And uh, the fact of the matter is he wasn't. He was doing something much deeper. The Jewish leaders, many times when they came to Jesus, it concerned what Moses said, and Jesus quoted him quite often. The message today is another one of those, uh, yet another one of those foundational passages in Scripture <clears throat> that as we understand it, it can unlock a lot of things for us. 
This is our sixth week in Core 52. And we're going to see the relationship between Jesus and Moses. And to be honest with you, when I'm putting this together, I'm like, this is a little technical at times. But if you hang with me, you'll, you'll, you'll gain some insights that will be very helpful to you. Because understanding this relationship <clears throat> will help you understand better how scripture, can, how scripture fits together. So far in Core 52, we've been looking at some of the 52 essential passages of Scripture. And we've been seeing subtle hints how God planned to rescue humanity one day from the fall. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, when God was announcing consequences for Adam and Eve's sin, there's a small clue of what was yet to come, what God was planning. This is what God tells Satan, the serpent, in Genesis 3. He says, I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. And so this is the very beginning in the, in the Bible where you see a Savior's coming. Yes, Satan's going to hurt you, but I got somebody who's going to knock you out. And that's one thing that's important for you as, a, as Christians is to realize no matter what's going on around you, no matter how you're being attacked spiritually or any other way, God's going to come up with a knockout punch, and that's going to come through Jesus. It's just a subtle hint of what happened, what happened at the cross when Satan thought, I got him, and then the tomb was empty. There's another hint of his, with his covenant with Abraham. God promised the whole world would be blessed one day through Abraham, <clears throat> not just Israel, everyone. God lee, uh, keeps leaving these crumbs along the trail to show us that it's leading to something. This is going somewhere. So let's turn to our verse of the week. That's what we'll be in, and we'll have a few other passages coming into us today. But we're going to begin with Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. And it's your memory verse for the week. I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among your fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth. He will speak to them whatever I command. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry about this. I woke up with this this morning. Um, the first observation I want to make this morning is simply this. Moses was a shadow of Jesus. Now, in the context of our passage, Moses had been teaching the people all the things that God had given to him. And one of the things, just before this, he's talking to the people and says, hey, you need to stay, I'm going to summarize it very briefly, but you're going, you need to stay away from occult practices. You need to quit, no, have nothing to do with it, because in Egypt, that was very common. And in the land that they were going to inhabit, it was very common. And, and Moses was telling them that, hey, you need to stay away from that stuff. In a couple verses before verse 18, here's what Moses also says to them. He says this. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. This accords with what happened at Horeb in the day of the assembly. You ask the Lord God, please do not make us hear, your, hear, hear the voice of the, of the Lord, our, our God, anymore, or see this great fire, lest we die. And the Lord said to me, what they have said is good. See, this isn't the first time Moses told people that something bigger and better is coming. He's saying something bigger and better is coming. Yeah, I'm here, I'm going to do my thing, but something in the future is bigger and better. Now, Israel, and indeed all the people, needed somebody greater than Moses to lead them out of what really holds them captive. See, <clears throat> Egypt, they were enslaved physically and in every way. But we fight a different type of slavery that is much, much more insidious. And that's the slavery to sin. And you see everybody around us, 
when they don't have Christ, they are locked into that. And God wants them to get out of that. And Moses could not lead people out of sin, but Jesus can. God told the people that he did not speak through the occult. They didn't speak through all these things, but instead he was going to speak through his prophets. And notice that Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like him from among the nation of Israel. He didn't mean that day, but he said there's going to come a time when that's going to happen. Now, throughout the history, they used the prophets, and the prophets spoke the words of God. And as a matter of fact, when you go a little deeper into the passage, it says, hey, if basically, if, if you think you're speaking my words and you're not, you're to be put to death. I mean, it's a pretty serious thing. <clears throat> throughout the nation's history, when the Jewish leaders looked at this passage in 1818, they saw it as messianic. When John the Baptist came on the scene, remember when John was there and they were asking him, were you Elijah? And then in John 1.21, they said, are you the prophet? They're referring back to Deuteronomy 18.18, when Moses said, hey, a greater prophet's coming. And so the people thought it was John the Baptist. Moses was a shadow of what was to come in the future. It's a, there's a big fancy word for this, it's called typology. And what you have in typology is you have two types. You have the type and the antitype. And the type is the foreshadowing, basically, that would be fulfilled through the, through the antitype. And in this case, technical term, Moses is the type. He's a type of Jesus. This actually comes from a Greek word in the Bible that means it, it's, it's tupos, which means, an ex, which means a type or an example. So Moses was a type or an example of Jesus. And so as we know before, as we've talked about before, the Old Testament was basically designed to show us the nature of God, to show us too what God wants from people, <clears throat> to show us how bad sin is, and to show us that we can't make up rules or we can't even follow God's rules and get it right. That we need something greater even than Moses. And Jesus said Moses was awesome. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, uh, Paul says these things in the, uh, uh, says all these things in the Old Testament. He says this, he says, now these things happen to them as an example or a type, but they were written down for our instruction. <clears throat> So Paul says, when you look at the Old Testament, it was a foreshadowing, it was a type of the anti-type that would come through the New Testament. And Paul says, these things are written down for us. A type, or is a person or event of the Old Testament that foreshadows the New, and, and, the, and the New Covenant. The New Covenant, in reality, is called the anti-type, because it fulfills what happened in the Old. These types or shadows became prophetic signposts foreshadowing what was to come. In Hebrews chapter 8, it says that the old covenant says this, it says it was a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, for the law possesses a shadow of the good things to come, but not the reality itself. And it's therefore completely unable by the same sacrifices offered continually year after year to perfect those who come to worship. And so Hebrews tells us that all the things in the Old Testament didn't cure the problem. It exposed it, and it put a kind of like a, I'd say, a Band-Aid on it. And so all the things that were done in the Old Testament, it did not clear the slate. It was a foreshadowing. Moses was a shadow of what was to come. The Bible points this out in a number of instances, and uh, Noah's Ark and the flood were a type of baptism in 1 Peter 3.21. Israel was a type of church 
in Galatians 3.29 and 6.16. The tabernacle and temple were a type of heaven in Hebrews 8.5. The Old Testament was a type of what was going to happen to be fulfilled in the New Testament anti-type. When you understand this, one of the things that comes, becomes more clear is the fact that the church is now Israel in a spiritual sense. This is one of the reasons a person does not have to become a Jew before they become a Christian. Because all the things in the Old Testament were a foreshadowing of fulfillment in the New. And by the way, this is another reason why, um, as a, uh, let me, I'll get to that in a second. Galatians 3.29 tells us this. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So in the past, in the Old Testament, to be an heir of the promise, you had to be a descendant of Abraham. You had to be Jewish. But then, Jesus, through Christ, we inherit that descendancy, if you will, of Abraham. We are then Abraham's children because you can't be an heir of the promise unless you're a part of, the, a part of, that, uh, part of that family. And so, to be an heir of a promise of an Abraham says that you're one of his descendants. So, when you're in Christ, you're a descendant of Abraham. I don't want to sound critical here, but I see this a lot in, in some churches. This is why ministries that focus on the nation of Israel as some part of salvation, they're missing the mark. Because I, you know, they, they were God's chosen people, but Israel is not the vehicle through salvation, it's Jesus. Because in Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, you are an heir of the promise. The nation of Israel is not. This is why Jews have to be baptized into Christ to be a part of God's family. They don't get a special dispensation. And I think we should support Israel. I have no problem with that. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we cross that line and we think, oh, we've we got to do this because of biblical prophecy. And that's a misunderstanding of the church, if you will, nation of Israel uh, combination, uh, how, they, how they're supposed to work. Jesus and Moses had a lot in common. Both Jesus and Moses were saved in Egypt from a tyrannical leader because Jesus descended from the Jewish nation so if that nation would have been stomped out, technically Jesus was saved when Moses took the people out. Moses and Jesus survived testing after passing through water. Jesus' five major sermons mirrored the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament that Moses wrote. Moses and Jesus had a conversation on the mountaintop during the Mount of Transfiguration. That's pretty amazing. Jesus' last supper was, the, was during Passover meal that Moses established. Both were liberators, lawgivers, shepherds. Moses' work and life were a type of the anti-type that would come centuries later. Let's look at our passage again. <clears throat> I will raise a prophet like you from them, from among their, their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them whatever I command. So, following in line with what we had said in our first observation, Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses. Matter of fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that you see in the Old Testament. The sacrificial system, everything. It all led to Jesus. More than anything else, the Old Testament is filled with types and shadows of Jesus. And you can see it throughout. Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, and many of the others in their own way are types of Jesus. Listen to this one from the lips of Jesus himself. <clears throat> for just as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish, 
for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. This is a, a direct example where Jesus says that uh, Jonah was a type of me, and I'm going to fulfill this. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. And when you read the Old Testament, in my opinion, if you understand that, it brings a lot of life to the Old Testament. Except the book of Numbers. But anyway, we'll talk about that. <laughs> wow, I'm still going through that one. Um, in this morning's core verse, Moses tells us that he's just a type of foreshad or a foreshadowing of a better Moses to come. There will be a better Moses that will lead people out of real captivity. And captivity of Israel uh, uh, in Egypt was terrible, but captivity to sin is so destructive. I see so many people's lives are just, just laid in ruin because they just can't break that slavery. And you'll never break it alone. You'll never break it alone. There'll be a true and better Moses who will lead us to eternal freedom. Moses couldn't do that. There'll be a true and better Moses who gives us a greater law that gives life, not like the laws of the Old Testament. Jesus was the fulfillment of Moses. And we know that Jesus was the fulfillment of Moses because of what other New Testament writers also told us. For instance, in Galatians, excuse me, Galatians, in Acts 3.22, Moses said, this is Peter quoting, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must obey him and do everything he tells, tells you. This is Peter preaching to the Jewish audience, saying, hey, you guys know that passage in Deuteronomy is messianic. Here's your fulfillment. And you need to listen to him. And the context was they weren't listening to him. The religious leaders were constantly dis disrespecting Jesus. And Peter said, you better not do that. In Acts 7.37, this is the Moses, excuse me, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. This is Stephen. As Stephen is giving his defense before the angry mob, this is part of his sermon. He says, hey, guys, remember what Moses said? Here he is. You better listen to him. And so he's making that connection also just before he was killed for his faith. Jesus also spoke on the subject in Luke 24, 44. And then Jesus said to them, these are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, if you're an Old Testament scholar, if you read it, have you ever seen the name Jesus in the Old Testament? No. But yet Jesus says, hey, Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all wrote about me. But yet they didn't name him. And I find that amazing. Jesus himself says, it's all about me. And not in an arrogant way, by the way. Jesus was greater than Moses. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a, of a letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. And Jesus, in response to the Pharisees saying, You're disrespecting Moses, he says, No, no, no. I'm the antitype. You know that there's one coming. It's me. I came to be that fulfillment. Jesus taught when you heard Jesus, when Jesus said, you've heard it said. He's referring most of the time to Moses' teaching. And so he says, this is what Moses said. But now here's the rest of the teaching. 
you know, Moses said, don't, you, thou shalt not kill through God, by the way, or God said it through Moses. And Jesus says, hey, you can't hate your brother. In other words, Moses in the Old Testament took care of the outside, but Jesus said there's a deeper issue because the nation of Israel was so good with the outside. Man, they look good. Those Pharisees nailed it. The people had all their ceremonies. Boy, it was a spectacular sight to see. But Jesus said, that's not what it's about. It's about the heart. And Jesus said, I've come to finish the teaching on this. So he's not disrespecting Moses. He's saying, here is the rest of the story. In John chapter 6, it says, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that came down from heaven so that a person may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats from this bread will live forever. He will live forever. The bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And of course, after that, they're like, hey, he's talking about cannibalism. But he's saying, God gave you manna to survive. He gave you that bread, but I am the ultimate manna. And he says the same thing about water. Come to me, you'll never thirst again. In other words, all these other things that were going on, Jesus is telling him, I fulfilled it. And I don't know about you, but as I said before, it brings a lot of richness to the Old Testament. At the Mount of Transfiguration, listen to what the Father says. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led him privately to the high mountain. And he was transfigured before him. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And I love this passage part. Then Moses and Elijah also appeared before him, talking with him. Now, these are a couple of the greats of the Old Testament. So verse 4. So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I'll build temples for all of you. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dear, this one is, this is my one dear son in whom I take great delight. Listen to him. And so once right there, the father is putting his stamp saying, yeah, Moses, Elijah, they were great, but you need to listen to my son. Jesus was greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. Let's look at Deuteronomy 18, 18 for a final time. I will raise up a prophet like you from them among your fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak them whatever I command. So the third observation is simply this. Jesus will lead you to the ultimate promised land. Moses led the people out of bondage into freedom. What a great thing, because without that, had the nation died out, God's promise to Abraham would have laid in, in, in ruin. Matter of fact, many times God was like, Moses, let's just start over. These people are just a pain. I mean, come on, and then... And it's funny because there's Moses just before this in, in, the, in the book of Numbers, I was reading it this week. He says, Lord, just kill me. <laughs> just please, if you love me, just kill me right now. But yet Moses interceded for them. When God said, hey, we're going to wipe them all out and start with you, Moses said, hey, don't do that because you promised Abraham. And, and you know, everybody saw that you led them out of Egypt. And if you just slaughter them all out here, the world's going to say, look, he led them out here to kill them. That's not going to be good. Moses led the people, and they passed through the Red Sea. Moses taught the people. He shepherded them. He led them through the wilderness. He led the people out of Israel. And technically, he didn't get them into the promised land, but he led them to the promised land. God wouldn't let him go because he had a little temper problem. 
why did God allow Moses to lead, the, lead them out of Egypt to the promised land? He did so so that his promise to bless all nations through Abraham would be continually would be fulfilled. Because if they'd have died in the infancy, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have happened. Do you see how all this ties together? There's a theme and a flow through the Bible that's in no other religious book particularly a book that was written over like 1,500 years on several continents from peoples that were paupers to kings on, with different languages even. It all fits together. Jesus wants to be the bread of life for all of us. Are you willing to let Jesus be the most essential part of your, of your life and give you the gift of eternal life? Jesus wants to be your deliverer. He wants to rescue you. Are you willing to trust him and allow him to deliver you in your life? Jesus wants you to see clearly the truth of life. Do you just want to go through life being, you know, they say ignorance is bliss, um, but that's really not true. Are you willing to believe that Christ can give you the truth and not just what the world tells you? See, the bottom line is all of this stuff leads to Jesus wanting to be your Lord and Savior. Are you willing to trust him with your life? You know, the book of Acts, chapter 4 and verse 12, reminds us, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. There's no Buddha, there's no Muhammad, there's no Confucius, there's no L. Ron Hubbard Scientology, none of this. It's only through Jesus. There's no Jesus on a North American tour. There's none of that. Jesus Christ alone. No other man-made religion. No other holy salamander. None of these things. Christ alone. Jesus is the true and better Moses. Consider this. First of those, to those of us who are already in Christ, sometimes there's a tendency for some of us in some corners of the church to want to go back to the old covenant to live according to rules and regulate. We don't say, I want to go back to slaughtering animals. But what we do is we feel comfort in following rules and regulations. And if we're not careful, our faith turns into following rules and regulations. We want to roll things back into a time before Jesus came and to live before grace, uh, the cross, and the empty tomb ever happened because, man, we find comfort in following rules. With everything going on in the world, some Christians are tempted to think that things might be better if we just lived it out that way. The answer is never to go back to the law. The answer is always and only Jesus, period. I say this to those who aren't committed to following Christ yet. Jesus is better. No matter what you're doing right now, Jesus is better. No matter how good you think your life is right now, Jesus is better. No matter what's going on in your life, Jesus is better. No matter what other people tell you, Jesus is better. Your life will be better. It will be a thousand percent better because Jesus is better. Not only is he the true and better Moses, but he's better than anyone or anything that you can compare him to. Nothing compares to who Jesus is. The answer to whatever is in your heart, whatever heart issues you have, the answer is, is always Jesus. And this morning, if you need that answer, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision.
And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning. All these things we read in Scripture have led to the point where God says, I want you. I sent my son to die for you. I went through all this with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Elijah, all this for you. And if you need Jesus this morning, we invite you to come forward and accept him as your Lord and Savior, to confess him as your Lord, to repent of your sins, to meet him in the baptismal waters, where at that point your sins are washed away. You're given the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You're going to rise and walk in a newness of life. And it's going to be joyous. No matter what hits you, it's going to be joyous. If you need that this morning, we give you that opportunity. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you're struggling and need prayer, we'd be glad to, I'd be glad to pray with you. One of our elders, Roger, would be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision to make this morning, we invite you to come forward. We're going to stand and sing, Cleanse Me.
Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch for me with not for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more. He prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. We all need time apart from the busyness of life. We need to get away from all the hubbub of today and tomorrow. We all need time to be alone, or at least alone with someone that we love. Jesus was no different. Life was pressing in on him. 
difficulties he was facing were overpowering, stressful. He needed time away from it all with those who were near and dear to him. During the days of his earthly ministry, he took the disciples away from it all to secluded spots, even as he did in our text that I read just a moment ago. He and they needed time to commune together, apart from the hurried activities of everyday life, apart from the difficulties they were facing. That need is with us today. So he calls us together, takes us by the hand, and he leads us to this table of peace, this table of communion with him. What does the word communion mean? What does it actually mean? Well, old Mr. Webster, my dear friend, defines it in this way. Communion is the act of sharing one's thoughts and emotions with another or others. Sharing in an intimate relationship with one that means a great deal to us. That's what communion is. During this time we have together in the communion service, we exclude all others around us. We exclude all our thoughts that bother us from day to day, all the difficulties that we face, all the distractions from our time with these with whom we are communing. We come to this special time uh, here in communion. We want to be in communion not only with one another, but especially with Jesus, the one whom we love above all others. Everything, after everything had been prepared, when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. I have eagerly desired to have communion with you. He says the same thing to each of us today. I have eagerly desired to share this communion with you today. Our response to him must be, Lord, I too have really, really looked forward to this special time of communion with you. And he says back to us, good, glad to hear that bread, partake of it. This is my body given for you. And take the fruit of the vine, partake of it. This is my blood shed for you. Communion time with Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Take a minute right now, bow your head, Close your eyes.
commune with him. Lord, I pray. Jesus, we thank you for this special time you have set apart to commune with us, we with you. Thank you for this. We treasure it. Look forward to it. May our thoughts be focused on you. Thus partake. some announcements for this week. Um, Jerry's groups are meeting today. Roger's group's meeting this evening. The church office will be closed tomorrow. We do have Young at Heart, and um, Catherine Wynn will be our speaker. She's running for U.S. Congress, so if you'd like to hear from her, we, you can be here for that. We have all of our studies this week. The women are going to meet Saturday. 
at 9 a.m. in the fellowship hall for the, for the Women's Connect ministry gathering. And uh, is there anything special you need to, anything? I, yeah, so any of the ladies, we invite you to come. It, this is a kind of a, uh, it's a revamping of spa, and uh, it's been relabeled, and they're f changing their focus a bit. So if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd like you to be here at 9 a.m. on Saturday in the fellowship hall. Uh, they're going to have are you guys going to have coffee and stuff coffee and cocoa if you said donuts i'd be here to make sure everything's going okay huh. I'll, I'll have to have a sidebar with her on that one um the, our next narrow path adventure is coming up march 9th <clears throat> please make sure if you'd like to come to that we need you to sign up because we're going to be going to velvet elvis as we go after we end at the mexican border trail and we need to set a reservation up for that. Operation Christmas Child is looking for items, and you can see that in the bulletin. Peach's Pantry is also looking for some things. Also, uh, if you're interested in being in a life group focusing on Core 52, get a hold of Dale. His contact information is in the bulletin. Dale's one of our elders. And uh, I think that's it with the announcements this week. Um, so far, we are in Faith Promise, and after two weeks, we've received 25 pledges for a little over $20,000 that will go directly to the missions as it comes in. And right now, I think this is my missions video. No, Operation Christmas Child, I forgot no video today. I've got people coming up. If I can find my orange mic. There it is, I hit it, I got it. Don't use, no, 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 don't use this one. There you go, not bad, yep. Uh, good morning. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about the uh, uh, history. It's an update update you on the shoebox ministry or Operation Christmas Child. Uh, surprise! Surprise! So uh, this year was the 30th year of the Operation Christmas Child or Shoebox Ministry. It's a project of Samaritan's Purse. Uh, over the 30 years, over 220 million shoeboxes have been prepared and sent out to over 107 countries. This is hard. Uh, so... Uh, in the early 2000s, First Christian picked up this ministry, uh, and since uh, that time, we have packed over 12,000 shoeboxes. Uh, this past year, this past year, I'm sorry. This past year, uh, we packed uh, 1,099 shoeboxes. Southeast Arizona, of course, had 13,845. Um, once, once the shoe boxes are packed, uh, they're sent to Orange County, where they're uh, reviewed and opened up and checked again, and then sent overseas. Uh, this year, uh, the shoe boxes out of our uh, processing center went to Mongolia, Thailand, Ukraine, the Philippines, 
El Salvador, Uruguay, and Madagascar. Uh, just a little bit more about the history. There are uh, eight processing centers in the U.S. And those processing centers, of course, are spread out throughout the U.S. and become a focal point for various shoeboxes to go to. And from the processing centers, uh, they're sent overseas. Uh, we have eight processing centers, like I said. They're in Denver, Charlotte, Dallas, Aurora, Illinois, Baltimore, Washington, Atlanta, Boone, and Charlotte. This past November, December, if you recall, Jeff made a comment about this couple called Sandy and Steve who do such a great job uh, on Operation Trifle. But, but, but the second part of my little uh, speech today has to do with you because it's because of you and what you do and who we lean on uh, that we are successful in the shoebox ministry. It starts with Jeff, who's up here at the pulpit, lets us uh, show videos during October, November. We lean on Jerry and the youth group to pack shoeboxes, to fold them. The women and the man on Monday who do stitches and crochet and knit all the items. The men's ministry which puts together all the cars, uh, you who donate your time to pack a shoebox or even pray over a shoebox. It's all because of you that we think or we think that we're such a great team. It's a team and a church effort to pull together Operation Christmas Child. It's a big, big project. The last thing I want to say is that uh, the journey of a shoebox, the journey of a shoebox begins with you and results in discipleship and evangelism for some child in, in this world. So on behalf of Samaritan's Purse, on behalf of your project officers, and on behalf of all of you, thank you for all your support time and effort. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we're really blessed to be a part of that work. And this year, uh, we moved Operation Christmas Child into our missions program. So uh, whenever we collect faith promise money, a fourth of that will be set aside and be used for Operation Christmas Child here so that we can help fulfill that mission. Now, for some of you, maybe not for all of you, this is our, our, our final video today, today and uh, it's a memory verse. Core verse number six. Notice we are at the tail end of the Pentateuch, that is the Torah, that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In other words, we're making progress through the Bible. This is Deuteronomy, Chapter 18, verse 18. And God is making a promise to Moses at the tail end of his life. Here's the first phrase we're going to look at. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. Kind of has this like rhythmical feel to it. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. Memory tip number five. The more you can add music or rhythm, the quicker you'll memorize and the more permanent it will be. I will raise it for them, a prophet like you. I will raise it for them, a prophet like you. I will raise it for them, a prophet like you. Next line, from among their fellow brothers. 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 Put it together. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. Feel the rhythm? I will raise it for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. I will raise it for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. I will raise it for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. That's the first half. Now we get to the second half. And I will put my words in his mouth. I will put my, notice I'm kind of uh, pinching my fingers here, my words in your mouth. And I'm going to put them there. I will put my words in his mouth. I will put my words in his mouth. I will put my words in his mouth. How will he respond? And he, will, he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So notice the progression. God, Moses, the people. God, the prophet, the people. God, the prophet, the people. I will put my words in his mouth and then the prophet shall, he shall speak to them all that I command him. That's part two. So let's see if we can put it all together now. Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. One more time. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. And I shall put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Deuteronomy 18, 18. All right, um, one other quick, so you should have that memorized by now. Um, by the way, at our Super Bowl party, if you brought this game to the party, you grabbed the wrong one because Don Baldwin has one just like it. It was a special gift. It had some special things to it. You probably grabbed it, didn't even look, but if you have that, please get a hold of me or Don and we'll make that exchange. She would appreciate that. Uh, it's a gift from her husband, so she would like to have that one back. Um, on the back of the bulletin, <coughs> excuse me, we have our things to pray about. As I said, we've received 25 pledges so far, of over, a little over 20,000, two weeks into it. So that's a real blessing in our faith promise. We're praying for things all around the world. We have people with health problems uh, that we've been, been praying for and lifting up. I know Paula's at home recovering from a surgery, and Shannon, she had a surgery the other day, and she was at, she was at prime time, unlike some other people that kind of forgot. But anyway, I won't, I won't mention anybody's name, Roger. But anyway... Um, the, uh, we have troops who are deployed. We have our shut-ins we've been lifting up in prayer. This, this um, month, we're focusing in on Peach's Pantry as our outreach. So if you can help in that, that would be great. And then we're mentioning, we're, we're focusing on all the, all the missions, particularly this week, Operation Christmas Child. 
So at this time, let's stand together. I'll give you an opportunity to lift your hearts to the Lord in, in, in silence, and then I'll lead us in a closing prayer as our praise team comes up to close out, close out our service with a song. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all the prayers lifted up on behalf of all those we've been praying for. I pray, Lord, during the week we keep them in the center of our thoughts. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we leave with joy, determination, and just a passion for serving you and sharing the message with others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.